I, uh, the one, one verse, uh, I'm going to go back to the passage in Jeremiah 13, 23 was maybe my fault. This, the, the, Jeremiah says, can the Ethiopian change his skin? Or the leopard his spots, then you also can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. The idea that change is hard, and the idea that dead bones coming alive and seeds that have to die, there's always something about change that involves uh, shifting from one place to another. And as we get into the Galatians 4, I just want to take you back real quickly to, to understand what we're doing uh, because the Galatians had been changing in the wrong direction. And we're halfway through Galatians of six chapters, and so we're, the bridge is halfway built. And so the first chapter was about they are deserting Christ. They're shifting their loyalties away because of some disturbing influences of people. And then uh, as you start to hear Paul get into... Uh, Chapter 2, he talks about his defense. It's not here, so. He talks about the defense of who he is, and he has the authority. And then he talks about the, the calling that he has to leave, again, to shift away from the law, that he died to the law, and that he is now no longer Paul who lives, but Christ who lives in him. And then as, he third, as the third um, gets into the third chapter, he's talking about you foolish Galatians, you weren't even thinking. And the inability to think through uh, where they were left them stuck in a false mindset. But for Paul, it was clear. The gospel had authority. And it was the authority based on the revelation of Christ. And it was the superiority of this good news that really led Paul to understand that if you're going to abandon the a Christ and go back to the law, you're going to forfeit the benefits of the good news, which is this new faith relationship, this new reconciliation, the kingdom of heaven, the spirit of God, the family of God, the peace, the joy, all those things you're walking away from, you're going backwards into Egypt instead of understanding the grace and its wonderful privileges. Well, this book, as I mentioned to you last week, this is Paul correcting the Galatians. As we studied in the, in the, in the study, that it begins with a curse, which we don't talk about much. But if you go this way, you're going to find yourself not, uh, uh, you're going to find yourself full of regrets because you'll be under a sentence of death because this is not what God wants you to do. God does not want your sacrifices. God does not want your tithes. God does not want your good works as a means to justify yourself. Because if this were important, his son wouldn't have to come to die. And therefore, this curse is going to substitute for the covenant that, that Paul goes back into chapter 3, and he says, this, this was given to Abraham. Before there was a law, there was the promise. So stay with the father, Abraham, and stay with the promise, and don't look at your performance, but we have trouble with that. Uh, and so Paul will go into chapter 3 and says, well, well, if that's true, we as Jewish people, as the nation of Israel, we were given all these things. We were given the Torah, the law, 
We're given the temple. We're giving uh, the, the, the sacraments that we would be called the people of God. And, and so why did, he give us, why did he give us the law? And so Paul will go on, and we'll pick up this theme today, that the law was just a tutor, a substitute teacher, a manager, a guardian, a boss over you until the right time came. And now the time has come when Christ, the professor, the, the master teacher came, you no longer needed an amateur. But in the bad, you needed this lower person to keep you in, in line. But in the baptism with this new master, to be one in Christ, with Christ, for Christ, by Christ, through Christ, all the prepositions lead you to identify with yourself, identify yourself in a brand new relationship with the whole world. And that change means that you would say, this one is mine. The idea of change, and you think about the gospel, you think about the Bible, when you think about Christianity, you have to ask, uh, well, is real change possible? And so as Jeremiah would say, you know, for you who are in sin, uh, Israel, you who are faithless, you are continuing to run to idols. Is it really possible if you're going to do evil, you're going to think you're going to get good out of that? And they were shifting their whole focus that it's tough to change, difficult to change. Even, even Larry would address the fact that if you're pulling the log out of your own eye, if you understand how difficult it is for you to change, then you have sympathy and empathy and compassion and mercy when you expect other people to change. He's really driving at. He's moving the Galatians from slavery, the bondage, the dullness, the lack of thinking, into a glorious new creation, a creation that's alive, as a, as a man, as a woman, created by God, restored by God, redeemed and, re, and released by the Spirit, there's new life in Christ. And you've got to hear this. It, it, I, I can't stop. I, I can't. I always gravitate to this. To everyone I see, Christian or non-Christian, rebellious, pagan, free man, slave, whatever, this simple little sentence, you can have new life in Christ. Simple sentence. Repeat after me. You can have new life in Christ. And that's the theme that Paul is saying. We talked about last week that we hold these truths to be self-evident our declaration of independence. For us, the freedom is not a declaration of independence. It's a declaration of dependence. And I step back into that right relationship with God because God knows who I am. And my identity is locked into this relationship. He doesn't set me free to do what I want. He sets me free to be who I am. He made me to be in relationship with him. But we talked last week that there are certain truths that hold us Again, the fears, the death, life, worries, injustices, the regrets, the doubts, many problems, desires, all kinds of things will hold you captive. But the idea of being free from worry or anxiety in a way that says, I can move in a fallen world freely with both eyes opened, 
without trying to play games, but I address reality with the grace of God and the wisdom and the power of the Spirit. And that's a shift. And yet, as we move, when Paul, when Paul met Christ, everything shifted. And if you haven't met Christ, you have not shifted. But you may be stuck with carrying a lot of old traditions, like, like we talked about, that they worship the precepts of men, they hang on to their culture, and these questions that are not so evident, the questions you have to have settled, and I don't know if you have settled, because it's hard to understand where, where people are spiritually. The questions of, God, what do you think about me? If God were to answer that question today, how, how would you think he thinks about you? And you think he's going to be shaped a certain way. Uh, what do you think about my sin? What do you think about our relationship. And so there's a lot of things that, that really hold us. God, do you still want me? It just seems like you're so far away. A lot of people struggle uh, because they don't know that when God moves, his activity in the human world is sometimes substituted for um, something that's not God. These core assumptions, our worldview, we hold these personal truths. And we ended last week with that song, uh, but he will hold me fast. And that's what Paul understood, that as he got into, uh, into the Galatians, certainly he would, he would agree with this one, as Jesus would, said, would say, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. To them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me. You are a gift to Jesus. My Father is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Therefore, Paul, here's the other picture. Paul's moving these Galatians halfway through, getting out of this, this distortion, out of this defense of uh, his experience, out of this idea of doctrinal foolishness. And he's trying to correct them. Now, what you need to understand is Galatians is all a book about your thinking about the Lord. And here's a word for you, another big word, the kids are gone, but, not, but it, it's, it's really big in the sense that it's one of these uh, highlight, high, over-the-top over the meta pictures, is the word category. You think in certain categories, you put th thoughts and ideas in certain files, and, but it's the categories that you hold on to that will govern your life. These are, these are your assumptive world, the beliefs, the faith, the thinking, your interpretations, your images, and your understandings that affect how you relate to people. Paul is going into the Galatians to say, I'm going to change your brain. I'm going to change your spirit. I'm going to change. And what Paul is doing is he's going to do some gentle correction. This is the Second Timothy 3, 16, and 17 passage. This is the, the purpose of the Bible, 
according to the Holy Spirit, there are four things that you can expect the Holy Spirit to do. Four things. And, and listen to these. As you hear them, ask yourself, where are you in this relationship? One, the Spirit of God is going to teach you. As Jesus was the master teacher, you call me Lord and teacher, and so I am. Then why don't you do what I say? Many people say to me, Lord, Lord. But Jesus said, uh, you don't do what I say. But the Bible is given, us, given to us to teach us, to inform us, God, who are you? Jesus, who are you? And how am I to relate to you? The teaching, the doctrine, the truth that Paul understood, the, Gals, uh, the Galatians were going off. And so when they go off, all Scripture is inspired by God for teaching, for reproof, which means to show what is wrong. You have to have this rebuke. You have to have this diagnosis. For without the knowing what's wrong, you won't be able to repair to make it right. The dentist is going to find cavities. If you say, I don't want to, I don't want to diagnose this, then you bypass that then you don't have any treatment. But you have to know what's wrong in order to make it right, in order to repair. We don't know what's wrong, therefore we can't make it right. Make it right for correction, to show you how to get back on the path. And that, that correction is what the Holy Spirit does when he guides us. He guides us. He comforts us and says, this is the way. It's the shepherd's hook to say this way. And so as we go into the training to practice, this is how we live our lives out. And so for the Galatians, there's distortion in people. First part, there's a dilemma that we don't hear God. We're being influenced by people. And our doctrine is directly affected because of our thinking. And therefore, there needs to be a deliverance. There needs to be a shift that comes. Liars, law, liberty, and love. As we've, we've done this in the Bible study, there's a process. But when you start with this end, love, just love people, and you, over, uh, you cover over all the other junk, you have a mixture. Well, let me move to Paul's point. The philosophers think the only, they only have interpreted the world in various ways. But as Karl Marx said, the point is you've got to change the world. I agree, says St. Paul. But as you think about change, Christian asks, what changes? What changes? As you think about, if you understand what Paul is saying, and as you as a believer, you understand this, is, is to what degree do you understand what Robert Coleman said, that the church proclaims a changed world through changed men. Reflective men only produce philosophies. But it is only the regenerate man who holds a clue to a new society. It's only the man who's been born again who can think about the kingdom of heaven. If you're not born again, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, if you don't have the relationship, if you're not saved, this is all foolishness. But for us, you will hear this cry. Even though you're in a world that's made by God, they cry out a Christian theme without the gospel. And here's what they cry. No justice, no peace. You hear that? The cry for justice is a spiritual cry. It's a biblical 
mandate that is rolling down. Justice will be rolled down. But don't, don't misunderstand this cry because they don't really want justice, not heavenly justice, because if they want justice for their cause, but they're ignoring a lot of the other causes that are just as unjust. But if they get justice, will they get peace? And the answer is no. You may get payback, you may get revenge, you may get a settlement, but you won't get peace. For peace is a spiritual reality. It means, does law bring about the reconciliation? No. It just means he goes to prison, she goes to prison. Punishment. It's not reconciliation. Therefore, you know these stories. I wasn't here in 1969 when there was a shootout in Cleveland. Or Kent State. I was in Ball State. Four dead in Ohio. And the violence, you think about the, the students that were shot. I read this. The witnesses at the school shooting here in Chardon said that the shooter had a personal rivalry with one of his victims. Why does the black underclass still struggle after the civil rights movement? Fifty years ago, a man declared that he had a dream. That dream, that dream has become a nightmare when we no longer help another man up. That color of the skin, we forgot that that dream. And therefore, sadly, the civil rights movement somewhere along the line lost its focus and its momentum and is now starting back up again. You see, this is the cycle that the world is always going to complain, demand, complain, demand, complain, demand, and there's no change. There's no change. The problem is you end up with a group over here on the left that's progressive, with morals that you should do this way, or the conservatives on this side, you should do it this way. And we know, we know that in the church, if you're going to be preaching, that you got to be doing more things righteously. And you drone on and on about the violence and the corruption in the world, and, and nothing really changes. Nothing really changes. It's just complain, demand, on and on. But I want you to hear this. For you... Don't misunderstand that that which is going on right now is the same thing that went on in the first century with the Galatians. And what they were walking away from, we have walked away from. We have lost the gospel. And the focus of our gospel isn't this. Because if you understand what Jesus said, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled, restored, agreeable, renewed, connected, not political. He who knew no sin became sin, a servant on our behalf. He's other-centered so that we might become the righteousness of God. And this group, the Reconciliation and Justice Network, understands that the church knows and embraces reconciliation and justice as the core elements of the gospel. Now what's really interesting is, you think of this, what's going on in Kenosha, or what was going on at Kent State or elsewhere, 
that, that is just now. No, no, no. It's the same. Paul could speak to the Black Lives Matter movement, George Floyd, Jacob Blake. Paul could speak to the same issue. Because the issue is this. You are in bondage. You're still in bondage. And no matter what you do, for Paul, the key was the resurrection of Christ. You don't hear anything about the resurrection of Christ with these new social commentaries. But in Paul's mind, resurrection holds the theological and the social answers together. Mercy and truth are met together. Mercy, not justice. Mercy and truth lead to peace. But we have a group crying out for justice, but you don't hear the word forgiveness or mercy or grace or reconciliation. You hear, this is what I want. They've kissed each other. Paul, the apostle, begins his work. He says, Jesus Christ, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God who raised him from the dead. He starts off with the resurrection. And then he goes to this. Notice what he said again in chapter 1. Who gave himself for our sins that he might rescue, rescue danger from the present evil age. Make no mistake about it. We are in the church today not to address the world's issues. For the world, you're going to have darkness and tribulation. In the world, you're going to have ignorance and you're going to have foolishness. We are here to learn how to worship. Him who rescued us. And you think about his will. Our, our job is not to change the world. Our job is to do the will of the Father. And when that fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law in order to adopt us as sons. How do you get rid of slavery? You bring him into the family. You relate to them in a whole new scheme. That you don't call them those people or those sinners. It's like we are all in this together. And that Christ, that one, when the fullness of time had come, this one who was God himself became man himself, the son of God, the son of man, that he would redeem and understand what it is to be a man and a and understand the problems to get us out of this. And therefore, know this, that it's the resurrection is the anchor for Paul. That resurrection and the promise, the guarantee, the, free, the resurrection the, is the freedom out of this bondage. Bondage to the death, to the law, to the world, the flesh, the old. Ezekiel, Paul read Ezekiel. And Ezekiel had failed God. And in a, in a situation that's full of dead men's bones, where the temple glory was gone, this prophet Ezekiel says there's going to come a day where the dead men's bones will be raised again. Paul would read that with the idea that the Messiah would be bringing about a whole new creation, a whole new humanity. And those who came back from captivity would start all over, not with the old to repair it, but with a brand new kingdom God fulfilled in the Messiah. If and only if they were born again 
in Christ. For racism and slavery and bondage has been not just a new, not just an American thing, but as I learned in this book, race and culture. The Hittites had slaves. Romans have slaves. Egyptians had slaves. This was the standard across the world. Everybody had slaves to use, and yet. Paul's going to get into another thing of bondage. And I want to point it out tonight, today, and then next week I want to go into it. There's another kind of bondage that you won't see. But Paul brings it up. It's the bondage of immaturity. The bondage of spiritual ignorance, immaturity, undeveloped souls. And he says, if you're an heir, if you're a child, you're still in bondage to be immature until the tutor has got to guide you. The bondage of immaturity, the bondage of the culture, and the bondage of your flesh. The law can't touch. You can legislate, but you will never be free. You'll never be free. And therefore, this law, this liberty, this love, 4, 5, and 6, as you get into Galatians, it's the Spirit of God, and only the Spirit of God will set you free. And if you're not there because you're spiritually mature, if you're not there because you're not born again, if you're not there, you're going to complain, demand, complain, demand, and then back away. The problem is this. Love and service end the bondage of the law. The Holy Spirit ends the bondage of the flesh. But one has to move from the status of the slave of sin to the status of a son or daughter in Christ in the family of God. There's work to be done and truth to be mined here. But let me just conclude by saying this. God wants you free. And his son will set you free. Therefore, pay attention, church, because God is on the move. Because you are sons, he sent forth the spirit of a son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you no longer, you are no longer a slave, but a son. A son. A son. A daughter. And an heir. With that, as you understand, God has made a way for us in Christ. And that way is through the resurrection of Christ for that justification for your sin, for the forgiveness, the reconciliation. And here comes the power of the Holy Spirit to restore and renew. Wonderful truth. And if you are silent about that, then you're locked into an immature position that you don't know God that well. And the Spirit of God wants to teach you, correct you, rebuke you, correct you, and train you so that you would be adequately equipped for every good work. He'll make a way. He'll make a way so that your worship will be caught up with what Ezekiel talked about, with what Jeremiah. These aren't new spots. It's a whole new creation. If you're in Christ, the old things pass away. As we sing our last song, think about this, pray about this, as you join Michael W. Smith and enjoy this because he is the way maker. Please stand.